Well, would you say that you have joy? Did you walk into these doors this morning on this rainy, gloomy day, but you could say and testify that your heart was full of joy? Did you think about yesterday and Friday and maybe Wednesday and Monday? Would you say throughout that, those days you had joy? But the very fact that I ask that question shows that it's something that we all want. We desire to have joy. And why is that? Well, God created us in his image. And God is a God of joy. The triune God enjoys relationship with each other in the Trinity, each person of the Godhead enjoys the relationship and has so for eternity of the other one. The Father enjoys the Son and the Spirit. The Son delights in his Father and in the Spirit. And that's why when Jesus was in those baptismal waters and the Spirit descended down on him, the Father announced, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, Matthew 3, 17. In other words, I delight, I enjoy the Son. And God created you to reflect that joy. And he has redeemed us as his children to be filled with that joy. John 15, 11, Jesus said that his ministry was one to put joy within us so our joy would be full. John 17, 13, Jesus said when he spoke that his word gives joy. The Holy Spirit saves us and fills us with the fruit of joy. Galatians 5, 22, the fruit of the Spirit is joy, love, joy, and so on. Romans 14, 17, the Bible says God's kingdom is full of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And the truth is our world is in pursuit of joy. And the question is, how can you have joy? Like, Where does joy come from? Well, we believe the Bible teaches that God is the giver of joy, and he's the source of joy. All true, satisfying, lasting joy comes from God. Joy comes from God as we believe his word. Romans 15, 13, notice this verse. Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace, and notice, in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And that verse right there teaches us that joy comes from God as we believe his word, and it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. Joy comes from God as we believe his word through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that verse, Romans 15, 13, teaches that. And that's actually what our story this morning, the account we're going to read in Luke chapter 1, illustrates for us. So turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be studying Luke 1, 46 through 56 the joyful song of Mary, the joyful song of Mary. And we will learn that God gives you joy as you humbly believe his word. God gives you joy as you humbly believe his word. The song of Mary here in Luke 1, 46 through 56 is often called the Magnificat. 
And it's going to be told this morning, I'm going to preach this sermon in two parts. First, I'm going to tell the story, kind of like we did last week, from Luke 1, 26 through 45. And then I'm going to present a study of Luke 1, 46 through 56. We're going to look into God's word and see what those words mean, what that song means right there. And so this story we're looking at this morning is the true account of Mary and how God greatly blessed her. And as we go through this account, I want you to notice two really key words. Number one is the word joy, and the other is the word believe. So if you're a child in here and you want to count how many words, you can count how many times do I say joy or joyful or rejoice, joy, and then the other one would be Believe, belief, faith, synonyms there. So look for those words this morning as we go through this account. I'm going to start in Luke 1.26. I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to tell you the story of Mary here. Mary grew up in Nazareth. Nazareth was a small village in the northern part of Israel. It was about 500 to 1,000 people. The people were extremely poor. And they existed as many in poverty have for centuries. They lived in these small stone homes. Most of the people slept in one room. Many times children and parents were sleeping in the same room so they could keep warm on those cold, damp nights. The men and the women and even the children, they worked hard to be able to survive. And that's what it was about. It was about survival. When they prayed, Lord, give us to this day our daily bread, they were asking, God, please feed us today. Joseph would have grown up in training to be a carpenter, which means most likely that he would have worked as a stonemason. In fact, near Nazareth, archaeologists have found quarries there. And so the, these men from early ages would have had calloused hands as they cut out stones and chiseled rock, and it was difficult and dangerous work. Joseph was engaged to Mary. He probably would have been at this time around 18, 19, 20 years of age. Mary would have been around 13 or 14 years of age. But even at this tender age, she was already working back-breaking work, and life was grueling for her. Women at this time would have, women and the girls would have woken up very early in the morning, maybe three or four o'clock in the morning to make sure that they could get their food ready for the men of the home as they went out to work. And then, then the women would many times labor in the fields, harvesting crops, going to the market to shop, caring for children. This was life Mary was born into, a very, very common, poor village and home. In a temporal sense, those kind of people, there was only a few things they had to look forward to. If you were Jewish, it was Saturday. <laughs> that was the day of rest. That was the day when you listened to God's word being taught, sang some songs together. It was the day where you got to cease from labor. And then also weddings and births. Celebrations like that, and pretty much those were the, that was it. That was what you looked forward to in that society. So as a young teenage girl, Mary would have laid down on that cold floor at night, and she would have dreamed of those two things. One, getting married and having that celebration with Joseph. Mary was poor, and so really the the greatest possession, the most valuable thing that she had that she was going to give to Joseph was her virginity. Her testimony was that she kept herself pure for their wedding day. And one day we find out that Mary is in somewhere alone, maybe on a solitary hillside, maybe she's in a field somewhere, but she's by herself and an angel of the Lord appears before her, Gabriel I want you to picture that scene. Here's this 13, 14-year-old poor girl. What, what did her hair look like? I mean, what, what were her clothes like? When, when was the last time she took a bath? 
And then standing in front of her was a glorious celestial being, an angel of the Lord, Gabriel. I mean, think about the bright eyes he would have had. Think about his, his bright, pure, holy vestiges, his booming voice that, that probably sounded something like a trumpet from heaven. Think of the contrast there. Verse 28, the Bible says that the angel said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And as, as he spoke to her, she was confused. Why would an angel talk to her? And what's this greeting all about? Verse 30, we find out the angel kept talking to her and said, do not be afraid, Mary. I want you to notice something to think about and that Mary didn't doubt. She believed Immediately when Zechariah heard, he, heard the angel, he doubted, but she believed. Do not be afraid, Mary. Mary would have been frightened. She would have been in shock and confused. The angel said, you have again found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Verse 32, he will be great he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now think about this. Mary is all alone on the solitary hillside or in this field, and an angel tells her she's going to have a baby. And not just any baby, she's going to have the son of God, who would be an eternal king. He would have a throne that would never end. This angel told her one of the most incredible doctrines, and that is the doctrine of the incarnation. That is that God, the son of God, would come and become truly man. As Jorge said earlier, truly God, truly man, that's the incarnation. And you know what's amazing? about Mary, she believed it. She heard that amazing doctrine. She believed that. She was not disbelieving that doctrine. What, what she was confused about is she was a virgin. How could she have a baby? She's never known a man. So she asked that question in verse 34, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel responded in verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So, so again, he presents these glorious doctrines. Again, here, the, the incarnation. And then another, another glorious doctrine is the Trinity is presented here. And then you also have the, the doctrine of the virgin conception or the virgin birth. The angel told her that God the Spirit, this is the Trinity, God the Spirit would supernaturally conceive a baby in Mary's womb who would be the Son of God, and it was decreed by God the Father. And so Mary heard these incredible doctrines, and the angel told her the proof that this was all going to take place was in verse 36, and he said, Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. She was barren. She was old. It was not possible. But God did a providential work in her life and allowed her to have a son. She was six months pregnant. And the angel said, go and, and find Elizabeth. And you can see that God's word will come to pass. In verse 37, the angel says, for nothing will be impossible with God. And what did Mary do with these weighty, majestic doctrines? What did she do with, with even this concept that she was going to have a baby? Verse 38, Mary said, behold. I want you to imagine Mary in front of this angel and hearing all this. I mean, we have seminary students that sit sometimes in seminary classes and hear about these doctrines and go, is that really true? And here's this 13, 14-year-old girl that hears these doctrines, and she says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary 
believed God's word. She believed God was who he said he was, and God would do what he said he would do. And God, or I should say, Mary allowed the word of God to pour into her soul like fuel on a fire, and her soul burst forth praise, the praise of joy. So the question is, how can you have joy? And the scripture teaches that joy comes through believing God's word. God gives you joy as you humbly believe his word. Mary believed God's word and her soul ignited with joy. And how do we know that? Because what happens right after this? She doesn't go back to Nazareth and go, well, I wonder about all these things. Maybe they're true, maybe they're not. She jets south toward Jerusalem. She knocks on Elizabeth's door and says, hey, Elizabeth, guess what? She finds out that Elizabeth, an old woman, is six months pregnant. Yes, God's word is true. In fact, Elizabeth even says that baby John in her her womb flipped for joy. You can see that in verse 44. So this passage is about joy in believing. Mary believed. In fact, even Elizabeth said, you are blessed because Mary, you believe. Verse 45, blessed is she, blessed is Mary who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken. That's the word of God to her from the Lord. And don't miss the contrast here. Because here's Mary in this, this home of Elizabeth and of Zechariah. And in that home is Zechariah. Zechariah was the socially important, prominent priest. Think about that in contrast to Mary, the insignificant teenager who was going to have a baby before she was even married. Think of the shame that would have brought on some of her family and friends. Think about how distinguished Zechariah was compared to humble Mary. Zechariah was older. He was to be respected. And he was in that society. He was a priest. He would have taught the law of God. He served in the temple. In fact, he was actually in the religiously esteemed temple in front of that curtain where the the Lord's presence was supposed to be, and he served the Lord there, sacrificing those those coals, bringing those coals before the Lord in prayer at the altar of incense. If anyone should have faith and joy in God's word, it should have been Zechariah. But in that house, As Mary entered in and told her story, Zechariah was not jumping up and down with joy because he was mute. He probably couldn't even hear what was taking place in there. Zechariah was high and lifted up in that temple and his own heart. He had pride. And so God humbled him for nine months. But Mary heard God's word and her heart was humble and lowly. And she believed God's word. In fact, if you look in verse 20, you can see that that's what the rebuke was from the angel to Zechariah. You did not believe my words. So that's the contrast. Mary believed God's words. Zechariah did not believe God's words. So church, this is about, this passage is about believing the word of God. God gives you joy as you humbly believe his word. Zechariah's soul was fueled with doubt and faith in his own wisdom, and he experienced nine months of God humbling him. Mary's soul was fueled with faith in God's word. God said it. She believed it. That settled it. How unlikely, think about this, how unlikely was it that God chose someone like Mary? I mean, we all go, oh, yeah, Mary. But in that society, she was the lowest of the low. She was unmarried. She was a girl, a woman. She was poor. She was not significant at all. 
friends, that's the type of person that God loves to use. Because God loves to use the humble. James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And isn't it interesting that twice the angel said to Mary, you have God's grace. That means that Mary had a humble heart. Church, grace isn't for the high and lofty. It's not for the priests or bishops or whatever. It's for those who humble themselves in faith before the Lord and trust his word. So I think a question for us to ask is, are you humble? Children, teens, do you want God to work in your life? Humble yourself. What would it look like for you in your home to be humble before the Lord, before your parents? Spouses, do you long for a marriage that is joyful and rewarding? You can have one if God's grace is abundant in your home, but God's grace comes through humility. What would it look like for your marriage to have humility? Christian, what does humility look like in your heart and life? God gives you joy as you humbly believe his word. So that's the first part of the sermon. Second part is now into Mary's joyful song. In fact, if you look at verse 46 and verse 47, you can see That's the chorus there where she explains her joy. And then verses 48 down through verse 55, she says why she has this joy. And and here she speaks about who God is and what she believes about God. I'm going to read this song. Thinking about the context of all this, think about this song of praise of Mary. Look at your Bibles at Luke chapter number 1, verse 46. And Mary said... My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and return to her home. Let's pray and ask for God to continue to bless his word. Father, as we enter into the second part of the sermon, we pray that you will use this word in the hearts and minds of those sitting here this morning. May we believe it, Lord, fill us with the joy of the Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want you to observe throughout this song what Mary believed about God and what she believed about herself. In fact, look at verse 46. Notice her song of praise. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. To magnify means to exalt. This is a word that means to declare the greatness of someone or something. So notice here, Mary's soul declared the greatness of God. Mary's spirit rejoiced in God as her Savior. That's what verse 47 says, in my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. The spirit and the soul are really synonyms that describe the inner person. Each of us is made up of two parts. You have your material part, that's your body, and you have your immaterial part, that's your inner person, or you could say your soul or your spirit. 
And your body is one, but it's made of many parts, right? I mean, I have my hand right here. That's a part of my body. I have my eyes, and my eyes and my hand are pretty dependent on each other, right? If I'm going to pick up something, my eyes are going to show my hands where to go. And if I have something in my eye, I'm going to pick something out of my eye. My hand's going to help my eye do that. And the same is true of our inner person. In our inner person, we have the mind, we have the will, and we have our desires. And they're different parts, but they're, they're connected, and they, they are dependent on one another. And so what Mary is saying here, she's saying that every part of my inner person, my will, my emotions, my thoughts, my desires, every part of me is united in praise to God, exalting God and joyful in who God is. Why did Mary have this joy? Well, she tells us in the next few verses here, it's because of what she believed about God So we're going to see a few attributes of God here. God gives you joy as you believe. He is, first of all, notice she believed God is the Lord. Look at verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord. This really recalls the Old Testament name for God. She's not speaking of a God that she made up or a God of another cult. She's speaking of the one and only true God, that's Yahweh God, the Lord God. Isaiah 45, 5, the Bible says, I am the Lord, Yahweh, I am the Lord, and there is no other beside me, there is no God. The Bible is absolutely clear, there are no other gods, there's only one. And friend, What she was declaring here is she's saying that God is exalted, God is the only one, and he is the only one that gives true joy. Do you believe that? Do you believe that joy flows from the the life of God, that joy comes from God? There's no other God who can fulfill your joy, the God's of this world can't satisfy. The God of climbing the economic or social ladder will not give you joy. The gods of drugs or alcohol will not take away your sorrow. The God of being liked or being accepted by those in school or those friends that you have or those on social media, it will not give you what you desire. If you look for joy from the gods of this world, you will come up empty. So here Mary is saying, I am looking to the Lord God. Where are you looking for joy? Notice that she believed that God is the Lord. And she believed that God was her Savior. He said, she says in verse 47, And my spirit rejoices in God. These are two lovely words. My Savior. Did you know that Mary needed a savior? She did. And why is that? Because Mary was a sinner just like you and me. The, I was looking at some statistics this past week, and it, it showed that the most prominent religion in Simi Valley is Catholicism. So as I was reading this, I thought, I probably should say something that is related along these lines. You might know that the Catholic Church teaches in the Immaculate Conception of Mary. That's different from the virgin birth, or also sometimes called the virgin conception. The Bible teaches that Mary was a virgin when the Holy Spirit supernaturally conceived a baby in her womb. The Bible teaches that. We believe that. The virgin birth, virgin conception. But the Immaculate Conception is not in the Bible. So the Immaculate Conception of Mary is not in the Scriptures. And that's the doctrine that they believe that the Virgin Mary was free from original sin from the moment of her own conception. In other words, when her parents conceived her, that was, she was conceived as a person who was sinless. And there's, there's a couple of reasons why that's wrong. There's three reasons why that's wrong. That's false. Number one, the Bible doesn't teach it. So that's the number one. And you really can stop right there. We're going to keep going. Second is, it's not necessary. I want you to just think about that. It's not necessary. 
The idea is, is Mary needed to be sinless in order for Jesus to be sinless. But think about that. What about Mary's parents? Did they need to be sinless too? Well, if Mary's going to be sinless, and if, that, if it works that way, then that's how it's got to happen. So, so Mary's parents had to be sinless. And then well, what, about her, what about her their parents? And how far back does that go anyways? So it's an unnecessary doctrine. And it's unnecessary because Jesus was sinless and is sinless by virtue of the fact that he was not conceived by a human man. He was conceived supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. And third, the doctrine of the immaculate conception of Mary is false because Mary was a sinner. The Bible teaches all have sinned. The Bible teaches there's only one person who has ever walked the face of this earth that never sinned, and that was Jesus Christ. Jesus lived a perfect life. Jesus died on the cross. He was resurrected, and he ascended to heaven, and he's in heaven now, and he did all that so he could save us from our sin. Mary needed a savior. She wasn't good enough to have her sin taken away by her own deeds. Mary deserved God's wrath for sin, like every one of us deserved God's wrath for sin. So, so what made the difference for Mary? Who, who saved Mary? Well, it was God, and he did so by his grace. Did you notice that in verse number eight, when I said it, you might've read it as well. Look at verse number eight. Because I want you to see this, that God pours out his grace upon Mary. Look at verse 8. And he, that's the angel, came to her, and he said, greetings, so chapter 1, verse 8, greetings, O favored one, graced one. God is giving you grace, Mary. How about verse 30? Another time, verse 30. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor, grace with God. Grace is God's gift that we don't deserve. In a few weeks, many children will be getting presents. And contrary to what Christmas songs say, you don't get presents depending on if you're bad or good. Because I have children in my home And I know most of the children in this church, and I know most of the year, you are mostly bad. So that, of course, most of the Christmas songs don't say things that are true anyways. You get gifts because your parents or someone else is deciding to be kind to you and love you and give you something that you, frankly, probably don't deserve, right? But they're showing grace to you. They're showing kindness to you freely out of their love for you. I heard a story of a man who was watching a commercial. And, you know, you, during the football games or whatever game you're watching, or soccer, I don't think they have commercials. But anyways, you, you watch those commercials, and you see those ones where that guy's in the, park, in, the, in the driveway, and there's a big car out there, and it has a big bow over it, you know, and the wife is like, hey, look it, there's a, you know, Merry Christmas, you know, so... This guy was watching one of those commercials and saw that car. Oh, it's a nice, you know, it's a Lexus or whatever it was, and it had the bow over it. And turned to his wife and he says, "You know, I would really like a gift that could go from zero to a hundred in four seconds." Hint, hint. And she rolled her eyes. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, Christmas rolled around and they opened up presents. And the very last present, she said, "I have a present for you, honey. Let's go outside and see it." And he said, what? She said, you said you wanted a present that goes from zero to 100 in four seconds. And he's like, he is pretty excited about this. So he goes to the door and opens the door. And there he sees, wrapped in a bow, a bathroom scale. <laughs> and so he got his gift. I think it probably went zero to 200 or maybe higher than that. It's the average person. But presents are gifts given freely by those who love someone else. God offers us a gift. It's called grace. And it's a gift to save us from our sins. Grace is given freely by God, and it was paid for by Christ's atoning work. And grace only comes to those who humble themselves in faith, believing God's holy word. 
So God gives you joy as you, as you believe he is the Lord, your Savior, and as you believe he is mighty and good and holy. Look at verse 48. Here Mary states why she has joy, and she does this really through the rest of the song. Verse 48, for he, that's the Lord, has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Mary prophesied through the Holy Spirit that generations after her would call her blessed. Is that true? Has that happened? Absolutely. That prophecy is even true until this day. And why? Why was Mary blessed like this? Why do people bless her? Well, it's not because of how great Mary is or was. It's because of how mighty God was and is. Look at verse 49. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. See, see, God gives you joy as you humbly believe that, that he is the mighty one. He is the good one. He is the holy God. Notice verse 49, mighty. Mighty means powerful. That means that he can do anything, anything he wills. Well, where do you see that in the passage, Pastor Ben? Well, it's right there, but also remember verse 37, for nothing for nothing will be impossible with God. He is the mighty God. Did Mary believe that? Yes, absolutely. And that's why she ran down to Elizabeth's house. Church, do you believe that God is mightily working in our world? We think about what's going on in our world. Do you believe God's the one who's sovereignly in charge? Do you believe God is mightily working in your own life? You see, we ask the question, why did this happen in my life? Well, do you believe God is mightily working? What is God's work in your life? It's to draw you to himself. Could it be what that thing in your life that's happening, you say, that's a negative. Why would God do that? That's, that's the very thing that God is going to use to draw you to himself. You see, God mightily works. And it might be that you don't see it because your heart's not filled with faith in God's word. Your heart is filled with doubt and faith in your own wisdom. God is mightily working. Do, do you believe that? And then she also believed that God was good to her. Notice that in verse 49. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. That, that means that God's mighty work was for her good. Child of God, do you believe that is true of you? That God's work in your life is good. That what God is doing right now in your life, it's for your good. God is holy. That means that he is set apart. He is pure. He is righteous. That means that, that God's work is always for his glory. It's always righteous. It's always what is pure. Now, can you imagine what that meant for Mary? Because we think about Mary and we go, oh, wow, Mary was so special. What a, what a special young lady she was. But can you imagine what this actually meant for Mary? For Mary to believe, first of all, all those doctrines, that's a miracle in itself. <laughs> I mean, because no one's going through the Old Testament and going, okay, I can clearly see these there. I mean, you can see them in the Old Testament, but not as clear as the angel told her. She believed that. But even beyond that, what, what did that mean for her own life, that she was going to have a baby She believed God is mighty. She believed God was good. God is holy. Do you think about what that meant for a poor, 
insignificant girl? What were the two most valuable things in her life? Well, it was, number one, her reputation as a pure virgin girl. And number two, it was her betrothed, Joseph. Do you realize by believing this that she would possibly give up both of those, her reputation and maybe even the one she was betrothed to? In fact, that's what we see here. I mean, she's going to have a baby before she's married. What is everyone going to think about her? In fact, later on, we see that Jesus was was slandered for being illegitimate, an illegitimate child. So people did think that about her. And and actually, we see in Matthew chapter 1 that Joseph even considered dumping her. He was planning on doing it. How can I divorce her? And of course, he did not do that because God intervened. But I want you to think about that because what did faith in God's word mean for Mary? It didn't mean, oh, great, I get to be the mother of the Lord. And that's going to be roses my rest of my life. No, it, it meant that there was going to be some dark, difficult days ahead for her. And so how does this help us? Well, Mary's faith was not rooted in what she could see, but in what God said. And catch that, church. Her faith was not rooted in what she could see, but in what God said. She wasn't believing God because life would go good for her, go well for her. She believed God because she believed God's word is true, and God's word is best for her to believe. God's way is best. So you might be in here and you might think, well, if I, if I trust God, the Lord in this, or if I believe God's word in this, like, I don't know how it's going to turn out for me. You might be a child in here, and you might think, you know, obeying my parents, honoring them, I think it's going to cause me to have a miserable life. And maybe it will. <laughs> but, but do you trust God's word and, and God's outcome for things? Or maybe you're a Christian and you have someone that you're not reconciled with. And you're like, oh, it's going to be hard. That person's probably not going to listen to me, and it's probably not going to work. And Well, could it be possibly that God's way is better than your own way? You might be resisting God in a particular area of life. You think, well, if I, if I, if I believe this, if I trust this, then it's not going to, it's going to make my life worse. And you know what the truth is? It might make your life worse. It might mean temporally things aren't what you would hope they would be. But will you trust God to take care of all that by trusting his word? See, I think about a person in here that you've been resisting the word of God for years. And you know you should trust the Lord, but it's like, how will this affect my family? How will this affect my life? You need to worry about how will this affect your eternity? And so trust God's word. God gives joy as you humbly believe. He is the Lord. He is the Savior. He is mighty. He is good. He is holy. And then last of all, that he is loving. Verses 50, or verse 50 through verse 55 present God's covenant love for his family. Look at verse 50. I want you to notice two words here. Verse 50, and his mercy. So notice that word mercy. And then go to the end of that song, verse 54. And notice the end of verse 54, in remembrance of his mercy. So it's kind of like these bookends here. She's going to sing about the mercy of God. What is the mercy of God? Well, she's remembering Old Testament psalms. In the Old Testament, that word mercy, that word in the Old Testament psalms, Psalm 103, 17 particularly, she's quoting there in, in verse 50. It's the word hesed. That's the Hebrew word. Sometimes our translation translates it as mercy, sometimes as loving kindness, sometimes as steadfast love. The idea of that word mercy, though, it's the idea of of covenant love. It's unfailing love. It's God's faithful love for those who are in covenant with him. And so what she's doing here, she's saying, I believe God loves me. I believe God loves me. And isn't that where it comes back to in all this? Because Mary had who knows what in her future at that time, right? But she believed God loves her. And and can I tell you, church, 
Isn't that where it comes back to many times? As we think about the dark days ahead or whatever's going on in our life, and we go, what does God think about me? Can I tell you, if you're in Christ, he loves you. He proved that on the cross with Christ dying in your place. For God so loved the world. I mean, it's God's displaying his love for all the world to see. He sent his son to die. So look at verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear her, fear him, those who humble themselves under him in awe and reverence from generation to generation. And then he shows his love and strength. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Notice this, this idea that God exalts the humble and he brings down the, the proud. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Now stop and think about that. Here's a poor girl. Does she know what it's like to be hungry? And think about it. She walks by estates, rich people, and she sees they're full of goods. So what's she talking about here? Because experience would tell you that 53 is not her. God has filled the hungry with good things. What? What's she talking about here? Well, Mary was not talking about food about money and possessions. She was praising God for filling her, a poor girl, with what? The good things of God. Now, if you're a prosperity preacher, you look at this right here, and you say the good things of God, it's wealth, it's health, it's that job promotion. If you're Joyce Meyer or T.D. Jakes or Joel Osteen, Benny Hinn. Okay, there's some preachers out there that would look at this and they'd say, hey, there, God's promising you that if you're poor, he's going to give you more money. That's not what Mary was hoping for here. That's not talking about that. What are the good things? Well, think about what she's praising God for. Her salvation, his power, his goodness, his holiness, his love, his Holy Spirit, and God fills us with the good things of himself. And those are far more valuable than anything you got in the bank and anything that you own. Our church is going on a missions trip in April, and it's not too late for you to sign up for that, okay? By the way, if you want to go with us, we need probably one other person at least, so... But one of the things that's amazing about going to places like Honduras, the third world country, and we will go to churches and we will go uh, spend time with believers who are, are poorer than you really can imagine. And what's remarkable is to go into the presence of these people and they are singing praises to God, those who are Christians, they're singing praises to God. They're filled with joy. What you realize in those contexts is we really don't understand like they do what it means to be filled as a hungry person with good things. Because we think the good things are in the banks. We think the good things are in the refrigerator. And I think when you're poor like that, what you realize more than anything else, the good things are right in here. And that's what Mary's experience, Mary's faith is telling her. And so Mary had joy as she believed God's word. Let me just finish this off, verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. God gives you joy as you humbly believe his word. Let me leave you with a few recommendations. First of all, what are you or where are you looking for your joy? Just think about this past week, and when your heart was joyless, what did you turn on? What did you run to? And as Americans, we often look for joy in the three big M's, materialism, medication, and media. But as Christians, we go back to God's word, and we look for joy in the Lord. And so let me just give you some recommendations. Maybe consider limiting your intake of the media of this world. 
And maybe focus more on, uh, on receiving God's word and growing in God's word. Maybe at Christmas, focus on serving people, not just getting for yourself. We have ladies in this church who are shut-ins. When's the last time you wrote a note to them and told them you're praying for them? Maybe you should visit them at Christmas here. Maybe you should look around the room and consider how can we serve other people. See, there's the joy of the Lord is not found in front of a TV set or scrolling on your phone. Friends, it's found when you're believing God's word, when you're obeying God's word, when you're loving his church. And so, so consider where we're looking for joy. I think the second thing is consider how you're filling your soul with God's word. I didn't have time to go through this, but there's so much scripture in her song here. How did Mary, a poor girl, know so much scripture? I think she paid attention. I think she paid attention in synagogue. I think she paid attention when her, when her father was, was teaching God's word. And the point is, is that Mary had God's word in her life somehow, which enabled her to believe it and then be able to rejoice in the Lord. So I think we should consider how are we in God's word? As we have sermons like this, how intently are you listening to it? You know, are you, are you taking notes? Are you trying to remember things that we've talked about? Are you meditating on God's word throughout the week? And you might think, well, what, what verses can I me- meditate on? Well, let me give you a recommendation. The front of the bulletin here, Carl puts in here verses every week. And you can take these verses and you can just, throughout the week, you can meditate on these verses and these truths. Like I said at the beginning of the service in 2023, we are having a chronological reading of the Bible together through this year. So, so be a part of that. Sign up for that. One exercise you could do is go home and, and take a psalm. And, and like Mary did, just go through that psalm and look at all the attributes of God in that psalm. And then praise God for that. Fill your mind with the word of God. And then last, I think the probably the most obvious application is to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord in praying. Rejoice in the Lord in singing. In fact, even in the bulletin we have, do you notice that we put in there the songs we sing? Do you know you can take that home and you, as a family can sing it or you can just sing it on your own? You, you can rejoice in the Lord in that way. That's a good thing to do. Rejoice in the Lord. Sing his praises. Maybe even one more. Maybe go tell someone what God taught you today. Maybe you can think of one thing that God taught you today in the, in the sermon, and then you can say, I'm going to go out, I'm going to praise God for that truth. Well, church, God gives you joy as you humbly believe his word. Are you believing the word of God, and are you looking for joy in him? Let's pray.